the Deco Retro Program here on Planet FM. We will bring you interesting interviews, updates of future Deco, Modern, Retro and other related events. Also the stories that celebrate New Zealand's history and its people, as well as book reviews and other snippets capturing the glamour and fascination of a bygone era. Deco Retro, Deco Retro. Welcome to the Deco Retro Program. I'm Philippa, and joining me today is journalist and author Diana Wichtel, a name familiar to readers of the New Zealand Listener. Diana Wichtel joined the Listener as a rookie journalist in 1984, and over the following 36 years, she became an award-winning senior feature writer and reviewer. Diana was brought up in Vancouver, Canada, but left in 1964, when her parents' marriage founded and her New Zealand-born mother decided to return to Auckland, taking Diana and her siblings with her. Sadly, the children were never to see their father, Benjamin Wichtel, again. His family were Polish Jews, most of whom were killed during the Nazi occupation of Poland in World War II. Amazingly, he survived the war, but was left with underlying trauma from what he had been forced to live through and witness during that terrible time. Though a loving and devoted father, Ben was a complex, sometimes volatile man. His children growing up in New Zealand missed their father and were always wondering when he would finally rejoin them. Instead, contact with him became more sporadic, and Diana's latent yearning to find out what had become of him over those intervening years never really left her. The children were shocked when they were told that their father had died at age 60 in November 1970. The need to find answers to fill the huge void their missing father had left in their lives was the impetus that would ultimately lead to Diana's tireless search for traces of her father's family in Poland, a search that was at times devastating, but also heartwarming through the people she met and new family connections she discovered. Her book, Driving to Treblinka, A Long Search for a Lost Father, is the result of Diana's odyssey into his family's past. Welcome, Diana. It's good to have you on the program today. Thank you for having me. Now, first of all, could you tell us about your father? Because um, you describe him, uh, one way you describe him is uh, Daddy Mad Face and Daddy Angel Face. But he was a larger-than-life character. Yes, well, I think for all children, your parents are larger than life, but he really was. we were living in a conservative Canadian neighbourhood and he was very unlike the dads that were around us. He was very continental. He spoke with a thick accent in those days. 
and the daddy mad face aspect partly was that uh, we would well I would provoke his his um anger by making fun of his accent and, and I, yes <laughs> and i suppose nobody really realized what he had been through no as children no. you wouldn't you wouldn't well none of no, that was spoken of, it. of. No. and occasionally i would provoke completely unintentionally provoke his anger in ways that i couldn't understand if we didn't finish our dinner and once i made a wisecrack about mm. wanting the last piece of meatloaf and why should we waste it on dad who wanted it to i was only about six Mm -hmm. but you know and i got banished and so i was you know eventually as you do with mercurial parents became a little bit sensitive aware of yes being careful what i said Um, Uh, but he was also playful he played his guitar the piano taught us to sing so he was a very talented man very talented talented. and he spoke seven languages so even as a very young child i was impressed by him yes now he he survived the war but obviously he was suffering from what we now call ptsd uh post-traumatic stress disorder yes um what happened to his family and and how did he manage to survive well um he and his family ended up in the Warsaw Ghetto mm. un- under the occupation of the Nazis. Uh, his several generations, a big family. My cousin Joe, whose mother got out much earlier, uh, when I finally met up with him, told me that the family there, the extended family, would have numbered over 100. Oh. And out of that 100, three survived, and one of those was my father. And so we think probably in 1942, and for him possibly early 1943, um, it could have been uh, the ghetto was being liquidated. Mm. And so he, we knew as young children a little bit of the story that he'd been on a train going to, we thought Auschwitz, but it wasn't, it was Treblinka. Yes. And uh, he jumped from the train. Well, I mean, there's a photograph in your book of the little slitty windows they had Gosh, he must have been very... Well, he would have been half-starved, I suppose, to get through that. And I came to realise in my research uh, that he was... I remember him as being not... You know, I was taller than him even before we left Canada. Mm. He was probably only about five foot five, six, and he would have been, you know, starved at that point. And uh, But I do remember him saying that he jumped and rolled down a bank and waited to be shot. Yes. And so what I came to realise as an adult was that he chose a different form of death. Beth. He yes. expected to be killed. Yeah. He, wasn't. He, was, he wasn't going to go down passively. No, and no. he and another man jumped. I don't know who yeah. that man was and um, possibly didn't end up together as the yeah. train rolled on. But, but so hard to, to leave his Well, exactly. That's something sisters. else I only came to realise later fully yeah but i remember saying to him as a child because i loved my mother and i couldn't imagine as a child and i said to him it must have been such a painful question how could you leave your mother on the train Mm. and any question we asked like that which was rare because my mother would shut it down Mm. don't upset your father was to say whatever you did they would shoot you why didn't you run away they would shoot you so you had a choice nothing to lose and what they call choiceless choices that they had um was really just different versions of being dead it was lose lose (laughs) either way so he ran off into the forest and he talked a little to us as kids the funny stories he told us about he must have been with someone else 
or a group, I don't know, and they came across a couple of young German soldiers. And he said he put his hand, they put their hands in their pockets as if they had guns in there. And the young German soldiers were terrified as well. They were all terrified. Mm. Uh, and they kind of made friends, and these young German soldiers got them food. That was good. So he would tell us those stories, mm. not so much the... Well, he, he had to watch his back because there was so much treachery and, and apparently um, that a lot of the Polish resistance groups were very anti-Semitic. Well, that's right. I mean, yes, they, they were... Um, and some of the, you know, other partisan groups, some other Soviet and things were, um, could be. So, yeah, it was an absolute day-to-day, uh, minute-to-minute, second-to-second mm. battle for survival. Mm. Uh, and the partisan groups there had a word they would say to each other to show they were Jewish, um, to try and figure out... Oh, if they met another group in the forest. Yes. Yeah. But equally, there were people that helped. Yeah. And I've learnt that too. Um, he was a bit bitter about the betrayal of his fellow Poles who turned in Jews. Terrible. And, uh, but equally, um, you know, I've learnt and spoken to a man whose family saved Jews. So, yeah. The, 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 the bringing, it brings out the worst and the best. Absolutely, As they say. Yes. Now, he, he uh, towards the end of the war, he was hiding in a, a box under the ground. Yes, uh, that's how it was described to me by my cousin Joe, who was my late cousin Joe, who was 17 when the survivors came back. Yes. The three, he met them and heard a bit about their stories and... Uh, so I think towards the end of the war, yes, it was yeah. a matter of just staying hidden as much of the time as you could. And, and then as soon as the Russians came in and the Germans went out, you know, he could emerge. And but, eventually uh, I found documentation that he was liberated in July 1944 oh. by the Soviet army as they came through. So, yes. um, so he lived for a certain amount of time before deciding to go to America, I think... Yes. His brother urged him to come and join him and Yes, New I have York the document that um, took the names of survivors and matched them up to relatives. And there's my father's name and my uncle Sai's name. Yes. Uh, but my father and my uncle Paul, who also survived, he survived on the run on the Aryan side of Warsaw. Mm. So he was hiding in plain sight. Yeah, and, and he, he didn't look... Particularly Jewish. Well, yeah, did. yeah. He, Which no, might have helped. It did help. <laughs> yeah. And in, in his account, there's a, an account he's written of his time in hiding. Yeah. He said he grew a typical Polish mustache to try and help us yeah. <laughs> fitting in. But he had many close calls. But the two of them ended up going to Sweden. And they stayed there, my father, until 1947. Uh, and my uncle Paul till 51, I think. Yes. And, and then both went to America first, mm -hmm. and my father met his, reunited with his family there, but it didn't go entirely well. Okay. And for reasons that, again, are not fully clear, he decided to go and set up in Canada Can with his brother's help. Yeah. Uncle Si helped him to set up a business and helped him throughout, really, as much as he could. And that's where he met your mother? Yes, my mother was a Ki Kiwi girl oh, Kiwi OE. OE. <laughs> After the war. Um, yeah. yeah, she was probably about 27, 28, maybe even 29, actually, by then. Mm. And um, uh, I remember her saying she got sick of dating boys 
whose idea of a good night was ending up throwing up behind the dance hall. (laughs) 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 She worked for the Americans and I think had been engaged to an American at one point. So she wanted a wider world. She went to work for my father and very quickly they were... uh, uh, you know, he wanted. He, he was. He, want, ten, he wanted marriage and home as and pa- children. Pa- he children, was ten yeah. years older than her, and yeah. uh, so it all happened very quickly. And and what was life like growing up in Vancouver? Because it's a lovely city. I've heard. Yes, know. it is. And I suppose ours was atypical in that our house was full of um, European. You know, he had friends, Jewish, and all kinds of other friends. A very cosmopolitan group of people, hmm. uh, and he was quite. Um, sociable mm. and yeah so we we were exposed to it but you know when you're a child it's also you're in a household where everyone's accents were different my mother yeah. had her kiwi accent my father had his quite different from new zealand yes. <laughs> at that time and yeah. you're kind of aware that you're a bit weird you yeah, know yes but i think my love of words and writing comes from that we were aware very early about words because yes. words were used differently in our household but you didn't take them for granted no and and then things well, they started to go downwards. Yes, with you know stresses and strains, financial and yes. other things, and also he he wasn't an easy man to live for your mother. No, to live with. No, obviously. Um, I realised that life was quite difficult for her. She had you know typically of perhaps housewives of her day, she had um, no money of her own and yeah. no car. Um, yeah, she was very much at home. Well. And now she decided eventually that things came to a head and she decided to return to New Zealand yes. and take you, your brother and sister with her. Um, so coming to Auckland in, what, 1962? Four. 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 1964? That must have been a culture shock. Total culture shock. When I look back, I realise I think I was quite depressed for a couple of years. <laughs> well, you were 14 and at just at that age. Yes, that's at right. Teenage years. And I used to have nightmares about the school uniform at Westlake Girls, you know. Yes. We'd never seen such things as thick grey stockings and boater hats and berets. <laughs> it was just bizarre, you know. Yes. And if you didn't wear the right uniform, you were, yeah. So, yeah, it was a bit of a culture shock. Now, and, you... Uh, you, you um, you, your sister, and your brother, you always believed that your father was going to come and rejoin the family. Mm. And so, um, I mean, he used to try and make contact, he used to phone you and different things, I think I, I read. But um, so it must have been very disappointing when it never eventuated. Uh, um, well, it was just confusing. Confusing. Yes, yes. So many unanswered questions. Yes, and I mean, one of the guilts I carry is that there was also a great relief. The family had been under great tension in Canada. My father was becoming more and more ill mentally and physically. And, of course, as children, you don't really know what's going on. Mm. But he just seemed to be behaving irrationally at times and things. So there was a relief of tension. But equally, you know, it was it was like people would say, because a woman on her own with children in those oh, in days, days was unusual. Yeah. Mm. She had to get male relatives to sign for everything for her to even rent a house or to anything and um people kids would say where's your father you know oh he's coming and then eventually my mother met a canadian from vancouver here and he moved in after a period of time and everyone said oh is this your father from well no Mm. so you can imagine as a 15 year old difficult difficult 16 year old trying to uh, negotiate all that now you're a young adult life is busy um, and I think you were at university starting at the time. But um, 
no doubt you eventually thought you would eventually uh, meet up with your father until you received that shattering phone call to tell you that he had died in, in November... No, 1970, anyway. Yes. He well, died. Yes. Yeah. We just got a phone call. My mother was living in... and stepfather were living in Japan at that time. Yes. And my sister and I were 19 and 21, maybe 20. And so, um, yes, we had to kind of deal with that on our own. I think by then we knew that he was very ill and we had kind of been led to believe he was beyond reach. Yes. And one of the great traumas of this research was to find that wasn't the case and to realise we could have written to him. But um, I, I guess you put a lot of things on the back burner, you know, you got on with life. Yes, well, that's right. Um, we were young. We had mum gone and um, I think, we, uh, certainly for me, I was just trying to survive, I think, yeah. at that point. Yeah. Well, I mean, life is full of what-ifs. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but... Um, uh, I, I believe a family member, if a family member hadn't blocked your father's immigration application to come to New Zealand, things might have turned out so differently. And I just sort of felt, having survived the war against so many odds, it just seemed a cruel, a cruel twist of fate for that to happen to him. Yes, and as I and, said... And you, you never knew about that, presumably, until later. No. No. But... Um if what I have learnt leads me to believe, and people have told me, it's unlikely that that would have been, that a family member saying something would have been the final no. straw. But so you never did find out. The mystery remains. Mystery, yeah. And my mother, you know, asked her, and mm. it was always difficult to talk to her about it because it upset her. Yeah. And she would cry. But um, she said when she was asked if he should be allowed to come in by... Uh, authorities, she said yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, so it's a bit of a mystery what prevented him. But one of the most heartbreaking moments was to get a document, and on that document, he had applied for assistance, mm. and it said wants to go to New Zealand. Mm. And those words were like a knife. Nice, to a the knife. Heart. It would. Yeah. It would be. Now, um, you know, we'll move on to when you visited Warsaw now, um, and started, you know, searching. Um, in earnest, your father's past, where he grew up. Um, you, you, um, all this must have been a real roller coaster, emotional roller coaster for you, um, especially some of the places you visited. Um, and some of your experiences you describe were so sort of weird and, and so absolutely absurd but but your cynical sense of humor uh, sort of saved the day in a way um uh, for, for instance you know finding the death camp the treblinka death camp that was a mission in itself yes. then finding your father's grave yes in a catholic cemetery that's right it was all so improbable really yes uh, we had a crazy day driving to treblinka in an old car we'd rented with a gps that didn't work Getting yeah. lost about five times, you know, uh, and to me it was sort of emblematic mm. of the quest. Of the quest. Uh, that nothing went right. Mm. And um, But my reaction to being there was very much not what I expected. Yes. Well, I mean, a lot of things were very confronting in your book. Um, but one of the things I found really weird and I couldn't get my head around was that Jewish 
district in uh, Krakow, totally bereft of, of oh, sorry, any Jewish people. They were, they'd all been moved out a long time ago, and, and now it's turned into some sort of tourist attraction. Yes, Kazimierz, I think, is how you pronounce it. I hope is how you pronounce it. And that was the first place we went, and really... Uh, it blew my mind because I thought, what's going on here? There were all these Jewish restaurants and shops selling little trinkets that were very weird of little Jewish figures holding money bags. And I thought, what is this? Mm. And it seems it's a sort of mix of nostalgia and um, trying to deal with the history, but in a very bizarre way. It's grotesque. And if you ask any questions, like I would say, oh, is this restaurant owned by someone Jewish? No, but you wouldn't get any conversation. No. The shutters would kind of come down. Yes. And um, to me, it was a weird mixture because I was attracted to it because it gave me a sense of what the life of my family would have been like. Yeah. But on the other hand, it was so bizarre because there were hardly any Jews there. Almost none. None, yeah. And visitors there have called it things like Jurassic Park. Yes. And, um, you know, yes. just trying to capture the weirdness of it. But um, I've since met Polish people who are Jewish, of Jewish background, who are now coming back to those areas and trying to kind of reclaim mm. oh, well, that, a presence for Jewish life there. That, that, that's good. That's good. Mm. Now, despite all the weirdness you encountered during this long search for your father, um, uh, you received a lot of kindness from strangers. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I typically damaged my knee on a train in Poland right at the beginning when we were going to have to be trekking through cemeteries and things. And the place we were staying, the young guy there brought me medicaments and gels and you know a, a young woman helped me find a bandage and everywhere we were treated with kindness uh, our guide there was fantastic yes uh, yes so it changed my relationship to Poland it made me realize you can have the narrative my narrative was built on the horror nothing mm. but the horror yeah and there's always more than one story yeah and it was good to find the rest and I spoke to this elderly man whose family had saved one of his Jewish friends and I realised, yes, you can't... There's two sides. You can't, mm. yes, have only one view on this. You've got to dig a bit deeper. Yes. Yes. Well, um, I, I was rather amused because um, I remember reading an article in The Listener. You were interviewed about publishing this book and what, what, how you felt about it. And you said it was absolutely terrifying. And you sort of mentioned that... Uh, Virginia Woolf used to take to her bed. So is, is this a thing? <laughs> is this well, a thing with writers? Is. Yes, apparently <laughs> it is. Not that I would in any way compare myself to Virginia Woolf. No. But, um, I was a great Bloomsbury fan and I noticed every time it seemed like she sent off a book to be published, she would have a bit of a breakdown. Yes. And an equivalent of that, I didn't take to my bed because you can't do that these days, but... Um, I certainly suffered quite a, a major extended anxiety mm. attack because I think while you're writing, you're in the stream of history and I felt in touch, touch with yeah. with all that. And it was a very personal book and revealing and I about yourself. I had my well. relationship with my father back in a weird way. Wait. We were having a dialogue yes. throughout that. Yes. And then suddenly it ends and you're putting it out into the world and it's terrifying. Well, now, before we finish... Um, what have you got some exciting flat plans ahead? You know, what's in the pipeline? Another yes, book? Well, well, yes, I am 
working on another book, uh, very different. One day I would like to write a little bit about what's happened since this book. Yeah. Some amazing things have happened out of putting it all out there and my father's new gravestone. Oh, yes. And, you know, to write and just fully acknowledge the people that have helped me, my late cousin Joe and my late brother-in-law Jim Stevenson, the people that helped me so much in this. But in the meantime, I'm doing something about the other side of my professional life, which is um, television. I'm hoping to write a book drawing on 36 years as a TV critic. Well, that'll be interesting. With a bit of cultural history through the lens of television, which is how I get my cultural history. So, yeah. <laughs> so um, um, I was just going to ask you, is your book easily obtainable, obtainable now? Yes, yep. yeah. I think it's still very easily obtainable. Uh, it's our press, mm. uh, and as far as I know, you know, most bookshops mm. had or can get it. So it's uh, driving to Tr- Treblinka, a long search for a lost father. Yes, by Diana Witchtell. Now it's an excellent book, although it's it's grim at times, but there's a lot of humour, and um, I really, uh, I, I, it was excellent. It was wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you. Mm, I couldn't put it down. I didn't want it to be unrelentingly grim. Oh, no, it wasn't. It My wasn't. father had a great sense of humour. Yeah, too, so. oh, well, that's, that's that. The, the, I really appreciated the, the humour, mm. the comedy. Yes. The, the black comedy. That's right. <laughs> the black comedy. But, um, well, thank you so much for joining us today, Diana. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Oh, um, and we're going to fade out today with a song that your father was very fond of. Um, I'll get you to say the title. I think it's... Du, du, du liegst mir im Herzen. Pardon my pronunciation. Okay. You, you are in my heart. You, you are in my mind. Du, du liegst mir im Herzen. Du, Mir viel Schmerzen, weißt nicht, wie gut ich dir bin. Du, 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 weißt nicht, wie gut ich dir bin. So, so, wie ich dich liebe, so, so, liebe auch mich. Die, die zärtlichsten Triebe fühle ich allein nur für dich. Ja, 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 fühl ich allein nur für dich. Doch, doch, darf ich dir trauen, dir, dir, mit leichtem Sinn. Du, du, darfst auf mich bauen, weißt ja, wie gut ich dir bin. Ja, 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 ja. Weißt ja, wie gut ich dir bin Und, und, wenn in der Ferne dir mein Bild erscheint Dann, dann wünscht ich so gerne, dass uns die Liebe vereint Ja, 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 ja Lass uns die Liebe ver-
If you enjoyed our program today, listen every second Wednesday of the month at 2:10 p.m. or download us anytime online at planetaudio.org.nz/decoretro. And we would like to thank our sponsors, Club Modern Art Deco Society Auckland. We will keep you informed of all future exciting and glamorous events to be held by Club Modern. For more information, email judith.moore650 at gmail.com. That's judith.moore, M-O-O-R-E, 650 at gmail.com. Bye for now.